Attention optimists, the hopeful, and people who still give a fuck. How can we fix our broken financial system without using politicians or political action? This is the question we ask on the Crowd Effect podcast. I am your host, Paul Lovejoy, activist investment advisor at Stakeholder Enterprise. Today, just four banks control half of all the U.S. banking assets. Uh, number one is Chase. Number two, Bank of America. At the third spot is Wells Far uh, Fargo. And rounding it out is Citigroup. Okay, so today I'm going to talk a little bit about the number th three bank, Wells Fargo. Now, the in the 2010s, the company's retail banking division was under intense pressure to meet aggressive sales targets and revenue goals. Uh, to meet these targets, employees engaged in a widespread practice of opening fake accounts for customers without their consent or knowledge in order to meet sales quotas and earn bonuses. In 2016, the practice was exposed and the company was fined $185 million by various regulatory agencies. The scandals led to the resignation of the company's CEO and the implementation of new regulations aimed at preventing similar practices in the future. Okay, so some of these regulations are, uh, they enacted these something called clawback provisions. So this allows Wells Fargo to uh, claw back executive compensation if they are found to have engaged in unethical behavior or contributed to a significant financial loss. Also, executive certification. So it required senior executives to certify in writing that they had reviewed and approved of all the company's financial reports and that they were accurate and compiled with all applicable laws and regulations. Uh, they also uh, required Wells Fargo to strengthen their risk management and controls. And also uh, they were required Wells Fargo to uh, compensate their customers uh, who were impacted by the fraudulent account openings and pay restitution to those who were charged fees for accounts they did not authorize. Uh, that all sounds wonderful. I think that executives who were profiting off of fraudulent and unethical behavior should get uh, their, their um, compensation removed. Uh, they shouldn't profit off that. Um, all those things, risk management. I think I'm I'm all for that. And it would it sounds like with these regulations, it it would um, allows Wells Fargo to move forward without this unethical behavior, right? Uh, not exactly. Just a year later, Wells Fargo announced in 2017 that it had sold auto insurance policy to more than 800,000 customers who did not need or even request the insurance. So as a result, many customers were charged for insurance they did not need, which in some cases resulted in the repossession of their cars. Imagine that, you're going out to work and your car is gone, you think it's stolen. I mean, you don't know that it's because uh, some faulty insurance uh, didn't get paid that you had no idea was even out there. Crazy. Uh, so why didn't the regulations work? Uh, 
ultimately regulations, they don't address the heart of the problem, which is this constant pressure to increase quarterly profits. Um, reg no regulation can ever address that pressure. Uh, and, and it's in every single publicly traded for-profit corporation, this, this pressure. And, and so it's, it's not so much the regulations that are, 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 are going to solve anything. It's the way we design it. Now, we want to design it with some of these regulations in place. So it has some checks and balances. But that's not happening. What's happening is corporations are designed to optimize quarterly profits, uh, always seeking more, always. And even when uh, corporate for-profit corporations are uh, trying to examine some of their social responsibility footprint, it still runs a risk in um, in lowering profits and having the executives be ousted by the shareholders. Uh, especially, you have powerful uh, minority shareholders uh, that have a concentration of of wealth within that corporation, and they certainly because you don't need a majority to uh, oust uh, to to call for a vote to oust a, a, a executive. Um, just a large enough minority. So all of this this pressure and this this abuse that banks have been doing to uh, the general public for years. This isn't new. Uh, the 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 scandals that are happening, the fraud. I mean, this has been going on, you know, since the beginning of banking. Uh, have been abusing customers. So the, none of this is new, and because. Uh, the general public has been abused uh, for, for so long uh, by these banks. Take a look at this. Wells Fargo, in 2022, they made $73 billion in gross profits in, in 2022. Now, total, uh, Wells Fargo has been uh, fined uh, $25 billion since, uh, 2020, uh, since 2000. Uh, they are the fifth most fined corporation in the country and $25 billion since 2000. At this point, it looks more like a, a cost of doing business. Now, Wells Fargo, remember I said those four major banks? Well, guess who is occupying the top spots of the most fined corporations uh, in, in the United States? Number one is Bank of America. Number two, JP Morgan Chase. Number five is Wells Fargo and number six is Citigroup. So these four banks that are controlling half of all the banking assets in the United States are the leaders in abusing the public. And because we're being abused so much, uh, we, we want to do something. Now, if you identify as a Democrat, you want your politician to do something. And so they do. And they create these social services that, uh, you know, act as a safety net for for people who have been abused, and and um, they're doing something now. Are, are these safety nets uh, effective? Now, I think that is something that's a real debatable question. Uh, I understand that it's doing something, but is it effective? Is it uh, worth the, the? Is the value there? I think that's a legitimate question. Um, Okay, so, so 
if you identify as a Republican, you're asking your politicians to also do something uh, because you believe that all this government spending is leading to uh, the, the, these corporations and, and these banks. The overregulation makes it more expensive for these banks to operate. Uh, therefore, they're increasing their pressure of, of earning uh, quarterly profits uh, is even uh, jacked, uh, you know, raised even more. So they're telling their politicians to, to do something. And they are. And this leads us into the news story of the day, which is the debt ceiling. Uh, here we go again, this, this debate over raising the debt ceiling. And uh, Republican, if you identify as a Republican, you want your politician to do something. And so they are. They're holding the debt ceiling hostage again, which has been going on since the 80s. That, that they're trying to get uh, Democrats to cut spending. Uh, and uh, they're not going to agree to raise the debt ceiling if Democrats don't uh, uh, agree to, to cut spending. And this happens all the time. Now, uh, what, it, what is the debt ceiling and why does it need to be raised? Uh, well, uh, the debt ceiling, it, essentially why it needs to be raised is because um, the U.S. government spends more money than it takes in. Um, now, the, the global economy runs on the U.S. dollar. And there is only one country that can create more U.S. dollar which is the United States. And so that's what's essentially happening. Um, there, the U.S. government is creating more money um, in the form of you know, tre treasury bonds and treasury bills and the, 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 the treasury securities. And um, they're, they're able to uh, spend more uh, because of it, because you can create it. Now, um, so there's two sides uh, uh, of this uh, debate, as always. Um, so those who believe that raising the debt ceiling causes economic harm argue that it increases uncertainty in the financial markets, uh, which can lead to higher interest rates and a decline in investment. They also argue that it can lead to a loss of confidence in the U.S. government, which can also lead to higher interest rates and a decline in investment. All right, so let's talk about the other side. Those who believe that raising the debt ceiling does not cause economic harm argue that the U.S. government is a safe investment and that investors are unlikely to lose confidence in the U.S. government even if the debt ceiling is raised. They also argue that the economic benefits of raising the debt ceiling, such as avoiding a government shutdown, also outweigh the economic costs. Well, we can't be constantly spending more than than we earn uh, as a, an investment advisor. That's just basic uh, financial sense. So uh, we can't be doing that. But at the same time, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, then we're going to uh, default on on a ton of loans uh, and also uh, uh, pay higher interest rates. That's that's unavoidable. So. You can look at raising the debt ceiling like this. Imagine you are a student with a credit card. You have a limit on how much you can charge to the card. And if you go over the limit, you will be charged a higher interest rate. The debt ceiling is like the credit card limit for the United States government. Uh, it is the maximum amount of money that the government can borrow. If the government goes over the debt ceiling, it will have to pay a higher interest rate on its debt or just completely default and 
sending the global economy in a downward spot, a spiral. So um, now this leads uh, into the financial tip of the day, uh, which is uh, become a crowd lender, I I engage in crowd investing through the channel of crowd lending. Okay, so why is this a financial tip? A, um, crowd lending is you can get great market returns from it. Um, and it mitigates risk because when you crowd lend, you could contribute small amounts of money uh, with other people to fund a loan. Uh, so let's say that there is a, uh, a $20,000 uh, uh, debt consolidation loan. Well, you don't need to uh, uh, fund the entire $20,000. You could fund $25 and have 799 other people also contribute $25 to fund that loan. So it decentralizes the, the wealth of, of, of banks uh, by eroding uh, the, the wealth. Instead of a bank loaning this money, people are. And so it's a way to uh, decentralize some of that power as well. Uh, the also also uh, it, it allows the general public to earn an extra source of income, and earning more income will lead you not to ask your politicians to do something. Uh, so so there is a way that we can actually take action without needing government intervention to to be the change uh, through crowd lending. Uh, it's, there's so many, there's, there's many options, diverse options. You can engage in crowd lending with as little as $10. Um, and, and so with a thousand dollars, you know, you can be really incredibly diversified, uh, uh, from it. So we have this pressure of, uh, or the corporations, banks have this constant pressure of increasing their quarterly profits. Um, which causes economic uh, harm and abuse to the public, which causes the public to ask our politicians to do something, which causes political divide and, and just per, a, a perpetuation of, of a problem. Um, granted, sometimes our politicians, you know, they can help a little bit. It's like putting a Band-Aid on the situation, but it doesn't go after the root of the cause. Well, with crowd lending, it, it does address the root of, of the cause. It's, it allows um, the people to become banks instead of the banks. Um, so so that's, that's my show for today. My name is Paul Lovejoy. I am a crowd investor and I see you are one too. If you'd like to know how to fix our broken financial system uh, ethically, legally, and without confrontation, go to stakeholderenterprise.com.